the On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Tracksmith. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and I'm thrilled to have you here for the fifth episode in the seven-part On the Job series. Every week, I'm introducing you to remarkable women who have cool, unique, exciting jobs. We'll learn about how these women got into their respective fields, what their days are really like, and why they're passionate about what they do. And all these women are runners, so we'll get to learn how they make it all work on the job and on the run. So... We've covered archaeology, orthopedic surgery, Netflix, being a pilot, and today we're getting a little more serious. I mean, not that flying at 40,000 feet isn't serious or that operating on and giving someone a new shoulder isn't serious, but today we're hearing from Christine Musa, who works for the Division of Child Protection and Permanency. Christine's job, her goal, her passion is finding safe and loving homes for children. Her work is really important and it's deeply emotional. I think it can be sad or uncomfortable hearing, thinking, or knowing about situations in which children aren't in safe, loving homes, so I appreciated Christine's willingness to answer my questions about what exactly her job entails. She's the one doing the home visits, checking on both the parents and the kids in their homes, and generally doing whatever she can to help these families. And before we get into it, if you or someone you know might be in a dangerous situation, there's help waiting for you, I promise. Call 1-800-4-A-CHILD and know that all reports can be kept anonymous. The hotline has access to a complete network of agencies around the country that can help you or someone you know, care about, or are worried about get help. I promise this isn't a downer of an episode. We're talking about serious stuff, but we're here to learn a lot along the way. So please join me in welcoming Christine Musa to the Alley on the Run show. All right, it's officially the fifth episode of the On the Job series. We have a lot to learn today. Christine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. All right, so kick things off for us. I'm going to have you tell everyone a bit about what you do. If you could, just tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. So I am Christine Musa. I am from New Jersey, Central Jersey to be specific. And I work for the Division of Child Protection and Permanency, which um, a lot of people call DCPMP, but the whole full name is Child Protection and Permanency. So what is your official title? Are you technically a social worker? Is there, like, if you had a business card, what would your title be? Um, So it's a family specialist. So it's called, like, an FSS2. So it's a family uh, specialist You start as a trainee, and then after a couple months when you've been fully onboarded, you move into a different role, but um, everybody else is a phys, you become a phys one. And then in order to move up in that position, you have to take a test and be there for a certain amount of time. Okay, so I was going deep down the Google rabbit hole and preparing for this conversation, and there were so many acronyms, like you just said, like FSYS and F what, like so many of them. So we're going to learn a lot more about that. But working for the Division of Child Protection and Permanency, it sounds like very emotional and intense work. Would you agree with that assessment in that picture? Many of us probably have in our heads when we're imagining the work that you do. 
Oh yeah, totally. There's been multiple times where, you know, I come home from work and I'm just extremely drained and I've like driven home crying, just you you can come home in your driveway and you realize like, you're like, how did it even get here? <laughs> I don't even know. You're, it's just a lot to, it's a lot to process. There is a lot of really awesome days. Not everything is severely emotional, but there is a lot of, you know, emotions. We are working with people. We're working with people in crisis and the day-to-day is just you really don't know what you're going to walk into. And that's a part of the job that you, you have to kind of like understand that your day-to-day is not going to be the same as somebody else that's working there too. And there's just a lot of emotion at stake. So that's just hard. So to excel in your position and in the work that you do, which do you need to be? Do you need to be someone who's kind of got a, a stone, not a stone cold interior, but someone who can really separate emotions and be very, um, you know, kind of by the rule book? Or do you need to be someone who's really emotional and compassionate? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like it's kind of like the, the mixture, because in order for someone to stay there um, for, for a good amount of time, and there is a lot of people that, you know, are quote unquote, lifers that have been there for a very long time. I feel like they have the mixture where they're very empathetic and, but, you know, you are by policy and you are, you know, walking into people's homes where you don't know what's going to happen. And there might be a crisis that you, you have to do something that you don't want to do. And it's really hard and emotional. So it's kind of like you have to meet the client where they are and have that balance of being a professional at the same time. So it's it's kind of hard <laughs> to say which one. I think it's best to be a mixture. Yeah, no, I can see that. And I think of that with things like doctors and surgeons and people who have to, you know, kind of fix a certain situation, but also have compassion for the people in that situation. And so I think it's really interesting to hear from your perspective about, uh, the emotional side of it, which we'll get into more. But one thing that I've really enjoyed asking people on this series is, is there a pop culture equivalent or representative of what you do either in TV, in movies? Is there anyone that comes to mind that kind of does what you do, whether they do it well or they do it in a way that you might want to uh, give some constructive criticism? Well, um, hmm. I feel like there was that movie with Mark um, Mark Wahlberg, and it was it was the mixture of the family. Um, what was the name of it? Wait, is this the one that like just came out? What is it called? Yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like that was like a good. I mean, they it was they were fostering a child, and I felt like that was like a pretty good description of kind of a little aspect of the job. And I was kind of shocked by like this kind of TV, this movies, you know, is going to dip into that and kind of like the accuracy of it. But there isn't, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of TV shows that depict what we do. And I mean, there might be little, little slot like slips of it, like this in This Is Us, I know there was, but, you know, with the the newest child that was added to like, Rand- I don't know if you watched This Is Us with Randall. Yeah. <laughs> So um, with like Randall's family, but you know, that, that was like a little snippet too, but a lot of the times in TV shows and stuff like that, they show kind of like a, 
the sad, the sad portion of us, you know, it's not, it's not the happy part where we're, you know, you're fostering a child just like in the movie and, you know, they become adopted, which is amazing. All right. Well, good. Then we'll get to hear it all from you here about what it's really like. First, I want to go back in time. Why did you decide to go into the field? And was this young Christine's dream plan and goal? <laughs> um, so I got my master's in counseling in about 2014. And I just kind of picked a whole bunch of jobs. I kind of went job to job figuring out what I was going to do. And I did jobs that were not social work aspect with like a background. And I had jobs that were, you know, working, working with children with special needs, a whole slew of different jobs really. And then um, I always landed back to some type of job that was helping people. And so that's just like the nature of, of me really, what I really, really like to do. So I applied online and I really didn't think that much of it. Honestly, I didn't really know, honestly, what I was getting into. I, I didn't have any type of background history of knowing what child protection and permanency did. And I didn't really know, you know, what I read the job, you know, description and things like that, but I didn't really, really know. (laughs) So, um, I got an interview and kind of just blasted it off from there. And I've been there for three years since. And this, this wasn't something that I grew up thinking that I would do as I, as I really didn't understand it and really know what I was going to do. But, um, but you know, the job is, is really amazing. We, we do unbelievable work and, you know, I, I can sincerely say when I leave work and I go home that, you know, my heart feels like really full at at times and it feels sometimes like pretty defeated, but, um, I am really happy for what, for what we do for sure. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. having your master's, is that a requirement to get into your field and what is the general schooling path like to have a job in your field? So it isn't a requirement. People have a mixture of background history. A lot of them have like a bachelor's in science in either psychology or or social work. That is like a large aspect of people that, you know, have this kind of job right now. So mostly either counseling or social work, some kind of social work background. Other people kind of have, it's either like some type of bachelors and some type of work that's with like the helping field is what they look for sometime some type of social science and let's talk about getting a job in the field it sounds like it obviously worked out quite well for you but how it, how easy is it to get a job in the field is there a lot of demand or is it competitive for my job they a lot of people apply and they don't hear back for like either months or even like a year it really depends on, I think, like the demand of the offices, because even when you apply, the whole the whole interviewing aspect is kind of long. You apply and then you don't hear anything for a bit and then you might hear something in the mail and then you go to this large interview where you have to write like this whole write up and then they pull you into a room and then there's two interviews 
interviewees, well, no, you're the (laughs) interviewers, and, um, you know, they're asking questions, and there's other people in the same room, so, like, you're, you're, you can't even hear yourself speak, (laughs) really, and, and the next thing you know, then they send you something in the mail, either saying, like, you're on the Rolodex, if, like, something comes up, like, open or not, or, you know, or I guess you don't get anything at all, and then, you and then essentially I received a phone call probably about like a month later than that for another interview so it was like it's very (laughs) long-winded and in terms of those interviews and in getting the job and even on the job how much of what you do do you feel school prepared you for and how much of it is following your gut instincts oh my gosh well I have to say when, when you do, um, start the job, there is a large aspect of training and you are constantly training every year. Like you have to have 40 credits of training. So when you do start, they don't throw you in there blindly. They do a large, like three months of training where you're driving to another off, like another, um, a designated spot to actually just take classes and understand the job. So a large aspect of that is like learning. And then you're in a, what my office has is a training unit. So that supervisor only oversees trainees. So there is a lot of oversight in that you're kind of in a really good spot because you have an awesome supervisor where like she'll explain everything to you. And then a lot of the times they send out, you know, somebody's going out in the field they'll buddy with the trainee. So then they get firsthand experience. But back to what you were saying about school, my schooling with my master's, um, that, that um, you know, set me up with like the toolbox of like understanding how to work with people. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, you're like learning and there's only so much you can learn from books. Once you're thrown into a situation where someone's like, genuinely really upset with you and (laughs) calling you names and stuff like that (laughs) then it's kind of just like everything goes to this everything goes to the side and you're kind of just trying to de-escalate a situation and trying to be like a real the realest person you can be you know all right so let's talk about what the job actually entails what does a typical day look like for you and what exactly are you doing and you said for example going out in the field what does that mean and uh what exactly is the work that you're doing Every day is, is different. Honestly, it is a job that never is boring. That's for sure. And I could say that I'm going to go into the office and I'm going to work doc- I'm going to document because I've seen so many families and I'm just going to get so much work done. And then next thing you know, one of my, my cases is exploding. And then I have to go out and go to that person's house and address issues. So when we say go out in the field, that means going out in a state vehicle and meeting the family members where they're living and assessing families first to first, uh, face to face is something that we have to do every month. And depending on the risk level where we have to do certain risk assessments in order to see how many times we have to see them per month. And everything, every time that we have to see them, it's every family member face to face and, you know, ask them questions, see how they're doing, see the children, see the whole home. What would you say is kind of the main goal of what you're doing? Is it getting 
foster children placed permanently? Is it getting foster children placed somewhere where they're being fostered? Is it intervening when families are having challenging times? Like, what is the bulk of what you're seeing and doing? Okay, so um, there's different divisions in child protection and permanency. So, like, at our office, there is different, like, there's the intake division, which they, whenever there's a phone call that's placed into the hotline, um, it's screened and then sent to the actual office where it's clo- where we have the where we service certain towns in that area. So the intake people they go out on every case that is called into our office. So I work in permanency, which is when intake says we need to open this case because there are issues and we need to put services in place like a uh, therapy or substance use treatment, any kind of like sexual abuse treatment, any any type of services that we need to put in place, then the case gets moved to permanency, which I'm a permanency worker. So then I am, I have cases that I have, you know, I have a certain amount of cases. And so I have to see those family members or those children every, every month. So I just kind of keep those families with me until I feel as though um, I'm obviously my supervisor and casework supervisor feel that they're stable and that there are no more services and they feel like they're healthy, they're doing well, and then we close out. So there's another area in our office called the adoption office, um, their adoption. So they're the ones that when we have cases that are in placement, which when we have to take a child from their home due to substance abuse or any type of neglect or abuse and place them, which we always want to place um, children with family members first. That's like our utmost, utmost importance. So then the adoption um, agency in our office, after a while where we are still have the case and the family, if we feel as though the the parents cannot get their act together, which is a poor choice of words. They can't get it together. Um, I don't know if it's substance abuse or whatnot, then um, the case gets moved to adoption where they have a long timeline before they actually get adopted and move out. It's about, they're given about like a year with us and then they're given about another year in the adoption unit. So nothing moves quickly we obviously want them to do as best as they can, the parents, and we want them to, you know, have their children back. That's the most important. So it's not something that gets moved quickly by any means. How often would you say you're at a desk and how often are you out in the community? I, since I work with cases and I can mostly, I could try to the best of my ability to plan to see these families, even though um, things come up. So I am at my desk probably, probably like 40, probably like 40 to 50% of my day. All right. So let's talk about when you go out in the field and when you're going to these homes, What does that generally look like? And I know that there's so many different reasons to do these visits, but can you kind of paint a picture for us? What does that look like? Are you ever scared? Do you ever feel that you're in danger? And kind of what most often are you walking into? 
when I kind of set up a either set up seeing a family or at oftentimes we have to do unannounced visits. So it's not as though the parents and family members can clean up and have everything in place because they know we're coming really. We have state vehicles that we take out and you drive over to the person's home and, you know, knock on their door and they know obviously why we're there. We do have a badge. So at times if it's a new case or anything like that and they are refusing to open the door, there are some times that if there is a threat by any means, we do have to call the police and you know, have them come there and try to get our way in so we could see all the family members and child. There are often times that we do have areas that we're servicing that are not that great. So we do have to call the police and have them come with us. Or, you know, if there's a family member that we have a problem with, like if there's a worker safety because they've threatened us or anything, any type of that, any type of things like that, then um, we would bring a buddy. So a buddy is like someone that in our office, either in your unit. So I have other unit members that my supervisor supervisor oversees with me. So I would ask to bring one of my my, um, unit members or somebody else, maybe a guy, because it's a little muscle. (laughs) And, um, you know, come out with me so I could feel a little bit more at ease. Have you ever had an instance, is there anything that comes to mind where you've ever felt scared or or actually threatened? Yeah, there has been. I am kind of a scary cat, (laughs) actually. So I am not like a large person by any means, too. So there has been times that, you know, I've been told to have the police come and be there while I was seeing, uh, seeing a family. And, um, you know, the, the family member kind of got in my face in a way and it was not a good interaction. And, you know, there are certain situations that you're going to areas, like I said, that like aren't, aren't so great. So you're, you're told to bring somebody and, you know, like you just have that gut feeling too. I often have that feeling and you're told to, you know, listen to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, you just get back in your car and call, you know, your supervisor and tell them your situation and see if you could get somebody else out there. So we, they really do want to oversee us as best they can. And they don't want us to be put in danger by any means, but it's like really important for us to see those, see the children because, you know, they're the ones that were, we're working for essentially. So it's, it's really important that we see everybody in the home. And when things like things like parents that are angry and become a roadblock, it's, it's really difficult. Quick break here to talk about our sponsor for the on the job series, Tracksmith. As I sit here recording this, I am hanging out in my oh so comfortable Alston bra and my hairier long sleeve, my two favorite items from Tracksmith's new spring collection. Actually, I need to go online soon. I need to place another order. I really want to get the hairier long sleeve, which I have in white in this gorgeous purpley mulberry color. I also want to treat myself to Tracksmith's signature Van Cortland long sleeve. You know the style. It's the retro preppy long sleeve and tank that have that diagonal stripe from the shoulder to the hip. I love that top. I also want to shout out Tracksmith's amazing online content. I know you think Tracksmith, you think cute, comfortable, sporty running clothes and apparel. I do too. 
but lately I'm really loving all the great written content over at journal.tracksmith.com. They just published a fantastic two-part series about runners who are on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis. It's a great read. I think Tracksmith is doing an amazing job helping bridge this weird gap between normal life and reality and what it means for runners right now. So check it out. It's journal.tracksmith.com. Most importantly, let's get you a discount, shall we? Whether you need some spring running gear or you just want to treat yourself or someone you love to something nice, you can go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 at checkout. You'll get 15% off your very first Tracksmith order. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run using code on the run 15 for 15% off. Happy shopping. Let me know what you get. And let's get back to Christine Musa. So you had mentioned to me when we first talked um, offline, actually, you had said that you work tirelessly to help children live stable and wonderful lives, but that it really means straightening out the parents. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you explain a bit more how how do you do that? So that's why really we we have services that we, you know, I don't do any type of counseling with families by any means. We really have services that we put in place so those family members can get the treatment that they need. Oftentimes it's substance use. That's like the largest thing that we have, our county has, you know, New Jersey's just like riddled with substance use, unfortunately. And we're, we're really working for these children and we want them to live stable, wonderful lives, but it's the parents that mostly were, you know, trying to straighten out because they're having any type of addiction disorder or whatnot. So, you know, we put these services in place where they get treatment. They have, you know, people that they're working with that they could call a peer recovery special, a peer recover, peer recovery specialist. You know, they have a worker that you know, can come to their house and check on them. Um, any type of services that we could put in place, like a sometimes there's a lot of the times there's domestic violence in the home. So, you know, we refer the parents to domestic violence help. So anger management, anything, any types of large services like this. So that's something that we're monitoring and we're checking in with those providers to see how well the parent is doing if they're taking this seriously if they're if they're doing what they need to you know and that's why it's really important for us to speak to these children alone so we understand what what is happening in the home when we're not checking up on them you know and hopefully they're being honest and upfront about things because often children are coached to say what you know what the parents parent wants them to say for us to get out of their lives. But, you know, I, I try to be the most empathetic and understanding person for them to, you know, be honest with me and tell me what's going on in order for me to help the situation. What are some of the questions that you ask? Like you mentioned, when you're able to be alone with the kids and ask them the questions, what types of things are you asking them that both help put them at ease with you and let them open up to you, but also that help you get the information that you need? Mm, that's a good one. So I try to establish a rapport. So it's, it's, it's kind of, um, 
it's kind of up to me in the beginning to establish that rapport with them, to, to kind of meet them where they are, understand what they like, what they don't like. It depends on how old they are. You know, children that are under like the age of, you know, three or four sometimes don't, you know, they're not understanding everything that I'm, you know, I got to speak to their language really. <laughs> so it really depends on how old they are, but it's really important to establish that relationship so they can understand that I am working for them and whatever we say in between our, during our dialogue, it will stay between us as long as it's not infringing on their well-being and they're not at risk. You know, it's something, unfortunately, I, I do have to break if there are things that are concerning that I need to report. But it's really, it's really, really important to have them understand that, you know, I'm just another person and I'm just trying to try to make them feel at ease so they can tell me their innermost thoughts and to be the most honest with me. You're kind of a mix between a friend, a counselor, and a detective. <laughs> it really, it really is. You know, sometimes you like walking in these families' houses and they're like, oh yeah, oh, hey, Christine. Like, oh, you want to eat this, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm like, I've been too nice to you guys. Like, that's not how I roll. <laughs> so how do you not get attached or do you get attached to these children? I feel like it would be hard to leave work at work. What is that like for you? Yeah, you, you do for, for what I do since I am with these families for sometimes, you know, more than a year. So they do get a, you know, you do get attached to them. You do understand like when their birthday is, you do know what grade they are in. They under, you know, like what they like to do and hobbies and stuff like this. So it, you kind of do grow attached to them for sure. And you also, you know, think about them, you know, when, when you're not at work because you, you want to make sure that everything is okay. So it really, it really is hard to detach that feeling, but that feeling is kind of the good thing that is, it is a good thing to have if you have this job because you want to like, you know, you want to worry about them. You want to make sure that they're, they're being cared for, you know? So when is your work with a job or when is your job and, and work with a family complete? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so it's complete really when families finish services and, you know, they're officially discharged and they've done really well and things are going well at home. And, you know, I spoke into the school. I have like, I have all their medical background and they're all up to date on immunizations. Um, you know, there's nothing to report that's going on in the home, like police wise. And, you know, everybody seems to be on the same page and everything seems to be stable. So that's when we officially close out and Obviously, my supervisor and her supervisor has to all agree on it. And then, you know, and then I tell the family that I'm looking to close you guys out. And I hope to never have to see you guys again. I hope you guys will do well. Do people ever keep in touch? Do they ever write you letters after either the parents or the kids or foster parents or adoptive parents? Do you ever hear from them after that? Um, I've received like a few text messages, but it wasn't, I've never gotten a letter or anything like that, but I'm, 
I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I, I want people to do well on their own and, you know, be able to foster. And I really hope that they've learned everything they need to learn from, you know, being involved with us. It's, you know, it's bittersweet, but it's really like, I want you to go and fly. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. Let's talk about some of the little details that people want to know about. Everyone wants to know hours, benefits, and pay. What can you tell us about what the hours are generally like? Is this a nine to five job or are you required to be on call at all times? Oh boy. So on paper, it's nine to five, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what they, I mean, they kind of, they, they, they are very honest during interviewing saying, are you okay with working later? Are you okay with working like you know, not the typical nine to five. And really, it's really good that they do tell you that because oftentimes you are working later than five because, you know, families work. So in order for them to come home and make dinner and whatever, I do, I do need to be coming over at six o'clock at night. So <laughs> those are, those are things that also when you are working later after that five o'clock, as long as you are working, those, those hours get put into another type of bank where you're working, that's comp time. So that could accrue, that could accrue into days. So like those two hours, the leader that you worked, was, if that accrues to seven hours, then that becomes a day. So in the future, you could use that day as a day off. So it is beneficial. So like when you do work late, it is like you're working for extra time to take off. So it's really, it's really great. So it's not, it's not that bad. <laughs> and um, the pay. So the pay, um, we, I believe we start at 49,000, which is like, all right, but you do move up pretty quickly. And every year from that on, you will get a bump. So it is, it is pretty good in the actual social work background because that isn't a really lucrative job unless you're having like your own office and you're counseling people. If you're, if you have other jobs in social work, it might not be that lucrative, but you know, the benefits are really great. You know, you get 15 days of sick, 12 days of vacation and whatever comp days that you accrue and state holidays. So it is really, it is a really great job. They do have really great benefits and I just think it's, it's a really rewarding job too. I would definitely have people sign up. <laughs> we need people. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most rewarding part of your job? I think the most rewarding part is definitely when, unfortunately, you do have to do a removal on a family and remove that child from the situation when, what and if you can place the child back into the family's care, that is the most rewarding because that really shows the full circle of how hard that that family member worked to do what they needed to do to straighten themselves out to have that child back in their life. And that's the most important. We want to see, we want to see um, families be stable and we want to see children be with their biological uh, parents. All right, so you just said before this, you were like, come and join us. We need more people. <laughs> what type of people will excel in a job like this? So definitely either, I would say, someone that can manage their time really well because there are a lot of things thrown at you and you 
are given kind of a task list of things to do constantly. And you kind of have to prioritize what needs to be done like as soon as possible and what can be done later. Um, I would say somebody empathetic because you are, like I said, working with families that are in crisis. So you kind of can't like come in there on your high horse expecting people are going to like, you know, do everything you need to do. Like you split, you gotta, you definitely have to be open-minded and be able to problem, problem solve and be able to balance, you know, work is, work is always a balance and this job will definitely keep you on your feet. So it's, it's important to definitely like, you know, have open communication because constantly things are like said to you and there's something, uh, you know, oftentimes there's something like super important that a family member is telling you. And it's really important to always have a um, communication with your supervisor and other peers. Yeah. Be awesome. (laughs) All the awesome traits that you need. (laughs) What about the biggest challenges or stressors of the job? stressors (laughs) maybe that there's a lot of there's always work to be done and you have a lot of pressure to do to do like really good work and also I feel like it's there is a lot of pressure to do what's right and oftentimes it's you know you're you're put in these positions by yourself and so you kind of have to you know go with your gut feeling of what is right but it's really great to know that you do have the your supervisor that's, you know, that always has your back. And, you know, that's and I would probably say is the biggest challenge because you're 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 dealing with people's lives. And that's that's the craziest thing is that like you it feels like you have a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> yeah. What about the biggest misperceptions about what you do? What don't you think people understand or get right when they hear your job? People think that we're just out to steal children, which is crazy. (laughs) You know, I hear that you hear that a lot. And it's, it's like, what? like, we're, people really just don't understand what the agency does, and how far it's come. Because a long time ago, they used to people that used to work for the division says like, Oh, I had 50 cases. And now you, you only have up to like, you know, you only you could only have a max of 13 or 15. And this is what I had and whatever. But, you know, the way that we are right now is, is for the best of the children. And, you know, it's, it's better for everybody because you're able to manage this so much more closer and that we have eyes on these children and families so much better than what it was before. And the last thing we want to do is remove children from their biological, biological parents and put, place them somewhere else. So we really want to, the, I feel like that is the biggest misconception and that we really want, you know, families to be stable and happy together. So in times like these, and of course, by that, I mean the COVID-19 era, how does this affect the work that you do? Are you considered an essential employee since so much of what you do, it sounds like, does require you to go to people's homes and have these really important in-person interactions that can't just wait until uh, a pandemic ends? So how has your job been affected and what does it look like right now? 
Oh my gosh, Allie, this is like the craziest thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so we have actually people that are working in every office um, as an impact team. So when calls come into the hotline, they're screened. And if, if the case needs to be seen, people are actually working. So they're going to the home and assessing the, the issues. But as a permanency worker like myself, I am working from home. I am calling people on my cases weekly and we now have Skype and WhatsApp on my phone, my work's phone. So now I can FaceTime, well not FaceTime, I can have like real to real conversations with every family member in the house and I can see the house too. <laughs> so it's totally different than what we were doing before, but like we're, we're trying to adapt because COVID is just not going away right now. So <laughs> we're trying to do as best as we can in this era. So I have a question and it might be a stupid question, but I'm always down to be the one to ask the stupid questions. When you're talking about calls coming into the hotline, who in, and I understand that every case is so different, but who is most often making that call? Is it the spouse of that is maybe in an abusive situation? Is it the child? Who do you find most often is making the call? That's a good question. Um, so it is anonymous most of the time. It could be a school counselor, which if one school was up and running, that was something that was being mostly a lot of people were calling in because they are the eyes and ears of the children. You know, it could be a, a neighbor that sees a certain situation. It could be a family member. It can be um you know, a friend, it could be really anybody because everybody is, everybody is obligated if they do have, if they do see a certain situation and they do suspect abuse or neglect to call the hotline. So it's, there is not really one type of person. It's really just, you know, any person that really suspects something that we definitely recommend to call it. And where can people find the number for their local hotline if someone feels that they are in a position that they should be making that call for anyone listening who might be in a situation like that? Where can they find that information? So every state has a, a child abuse hotline phone number. So if they were to Google if they're in New Jersey, they could Google New Jersey child abuse um, hotline and the phone number would come up. But it depends on the state. So it would be different. Okay. Let's talk about how running fits in for you. As you mentioned, I have to imagine running is a great stress reliever for you when you have kind of the weight of much of the world on your shoulders. What role does running play in your life? Running is amazing. Um, definitely something that I've, I've been doing for years and it's just something that's been even more ramped up since my job for sure. It's, um, something that I do at night after work, you know, lacing up those shoes and running out the door is definitely made me so much, you know, happier. And it just like something that you do to like process the whole day, really just to numb out feelings and just like process what's going on. And, you know, once you get home, you just feel so much better. All right. How does being a runner help with your job? I would say like, I'm going to be really, um, cheesy <laughs> my I was like what's the word <laughs> my my husband used to he would he would always say that like 
I have no quit in me. And that has been often something that with running, even though like having the worst day and like, or even the worst race where you just want to quit. I never quit. I've never quit a race ever. That's probably the, my job mantra too, that, you know, there's been plenty of bad days and and I've never said, I'm going to hang up the towel. It's always like, no, this job is like really, really good. I, you know, this, I'm doing such great work working with these families. I'm learning so much about myself. I'm getting so many great job tools and there it's just probably like running and my work has just, you know, made me a so much stronger person. I used to, when I first started the job, I was having really like a difficult time, you know, calling families and going out into the field and meeting with these families that I've never met before and thought that they would probably, you know, like yell at me or anything like that. And now there's like, you know, I have this totally different side to myself where I have, I'm a lot more confident and that's probably what running has taught me as well as my job. I love it. All right. The last thing that I need from you for anyone who's listening, who has heard this conversation and is now feeling intrigued or inspired and thinking, Hey, I think I might want to do that. What (laughs) advice do you have for them? I would definitely say to look at, well, it depends on like what age you are, because there's awesome. Well, in New Jersey, there are awesome schools that you know, have a big wick program. So it's like a bachelor's in um, social work. So that allow you to intern at our offices. So that gives you like such great opportunity to be, to be working firsthand and understand the whole job work. So I would say look into something like that. Maybe, you know, talk to somebody that has some type of background in social work or, you know, reach out to me and see, see, uh, ask more questions or whatnot, because it's just a job that definitely will always need employees. And, you know, it's just such great work at the end of the day. And it's really important for, for our families, for sure. And what's the best way for everyone to get you? How do you want them to reach out? It's Christine, Emily. So two E's in between and two Y's. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-E-M-I-L-Y-Y. All right. That's where everyone can find you. Thank you so much for coming on, for teaching us so much, and for really shining a light on the work that you do and so much of what we don't see. I think it's really important to talk about this stuff, even when it's hard and emotional. And I appreciate you and the work you do. And I know that uh, there's many, many people out there who appreciate the work that you do. So keep it up. And thank you for sharing so much of us, so much of it with us today. Thank you so much for reaching out because I I definitely never thought that you would have reached out or, you know, anybody would want to hear about our side of the work. And also just hearing the awesome stories from the other people on the run with the job series, they sound like amazing. So I was just very nervous <laughs> um, being compared to them. But thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. 
Oh, thank you for doing it. And don't compare. Listen, none of us can compare to the life of being a pilot on a private jet. So let's just not even go there. But truly, this is amazing. And I so appreciate your work and and keep it up. I know these are weird times, but I think it's great the way that you're adapting and that you're able to continue helping these families and, and getting as many kids as possible into happy, safe, loving homes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to the fifth episode of the On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show. And big thank you to Christine for letting us take a peek into her world. To Christine and to all the helpers out there, we thank you for the tireless work that you do, truly. Okay, other updates and reminders. In addition to this new weekly series, remember regular episodes of the Alley on the Run show are still coming your way every Thursday. The best way to make sure you don't miss a thing is to subscribe to the show in the podcast listening app of your choice while you're there doing that. How about leaving a rating and review for the show? I have this goal to hit 1,000 reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts by May 6th. And I would love your help in getting there. It's less than a month away. We can do this. And big thanks to everyone who has already done so. Remember, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm Allie on the Run 1. I'm on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. I'm in the Allie on the Run Best Running Friends Facebook group, which is a super fun and happy place. And I'm excited to let you know that I have a Patreon page that you can check out. Go to patreon.com slash Allie on the Run and take a look around. You can decide to support the show financially if that is something you're interested in. You'll get bonus episodes every month, plus other goodies, and of course, my deepest, most heartfelt gratitude. I really mean that. Finally, let's give it up for Tracksmith for sponsoring the On The Job series on the Alley On The Run show. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run for 15% off. Keep working hard and thanks for joining me on the run.